0: Good evening. When we were uh, sitting here, we were looking back, and there was only about six or seven of us, and we thought, oh, boy. (laughs) Maybe we'll just drag everybody right up to the front here. Uh, Go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19. While you're doing that... uh, the topic tonight, the, the, the thought is God's self-revelation. We're going to think on that uh, this evening. Um, keep in mind, when we think about God, we're thinking of, of godliness, and God always has a purpose when he uh, does something, and so uh, our thought tonight might be with, uh, godliness with the intent of Christ-likeness. God has a purpose for man. Uh, When we do think about godliness, we want to keep in mind that uh, right needs to be right, and wrong needs to be wrong. Uh, Calling wrong right and right wrong just doesn't fit very well with godliness. Um, The same goes for good and evil. To look at something uh, that is evil and to call it good, or that is good and to call it evil uh, doesn't fit very well either. Um, To make a quick mention, uh, if uh, keeping up with, uh, you know, the current events and what our, our government's doing and our courts are doing. Um, for those that are interested, John MacArthur has a very good uh, uh, message on what our Supreme Court had recently passed. He articulates it and marks it out very well uh, concerning the government, uh, the courts, um, and and the things that uh, they have considered uh to be good, which we would consider to be evil. Um, you can find that uh, on his site, uh, Grace to You. Uh, and there's uh, it's labeled, We Will Not Bow Down. So if you got time, look that up and watch it. It's, it's almost an hour long, but it's pretty good. Uh, Psalms chapter 19. Let's go ahead and uh, we're going to read the whole psalm here. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their sound has gone out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The psalmist here exhorts the reader to look up and see that there is a God and that he is great and that he is wonderful. The psalmist also exhorts us to look into his word and to see that he is holy and that he is righteous. that man is sinful in comparison. He also exhorts us to look no further, only on the Lord your strength and your Redeemer. As we think about this topic, God's self-revelation, God making himself known, if God chose to keep the veil that hung between time and eternity intact, we would never know anything about him. It says in Job, as touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. But God, in all his infinite wisdom, chose to reveal himself to his creatures, that they might know And enter into the most supreme experience to know God. As we're considering this, we want to take into account that God is shown to be one. God is a unity, Uh, God is simplistic. And this is an important fact when it comes to understanding uh, the order of things. There is God and no other and we give allegiance to him. He says in his word, my glory I will not give to another. He tells us that I am God and there is no other besides me. We find also that God being one is also a triunity, three in one. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these all three agree. Not just in goal, but in understanding, uh, in essence, and order of things. Uh, We've we've used this probably sometimes uh, when we're maybe outlining things for people. We say, uh, rule number one, it would be God's way. Rule number two, get along together. And rule number three, if you don't understand rule number two, Go back to rule number one. Let's do it God's way. John writes in his epistle in 1 John 1, seven. he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, something happens. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, that means if we go and spend time in the same light that God is in, something's going to happen. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And it brings us together, and it enables us to work together. And this is a principle in God's word, and he has revealed this in his creation. God has revealed this, that God is one, but he is also a triunity. First in his universe, universe, one, it is vast and big, but it is also can be seen as a triuniverse. universe We see that the universe is made up of space, time, and matter. And each one of these are also a triunity. Space is made up of length, breadth, and height. Time is made up of past, present, and future. Matter is made up of energy, motion, and phenomena. We see in God's creation that man also is a triunity. He's made up of body, soul, and spirit. In considering God's revelation, we need to consider his glory also. What is glory? Manifestation, revelation. There are three aspects I find in scripture um, concerning glory, aspects of revelation. The first one, uh, we, we heard at the conference, there's this definition of that which makes a thing or person look good. It has an idea of that which is external and visible. We take the sun, and the sun shines, and what is the glory of the sun? It's the sunlight. The second aspect is an outward expression of an inward essence. This is internal, and it is descriptive. Again, if we would look at the sun, we would see that as we examine the sunlight, it tells us what the sun is made of. It tells us what the sun is like. And we can understand it that way. And thirdly, we see that glory has an effect. Glory has an effect. And most specifically in what we're looking at, it has an effect on our attitude. And it is experiential and it is effective. God has revealed himself in three ways to us. Uh, first of all, he's revealed himself in creation. And this again is an external, visible, and a, it has a speech and it is universally heard. It's heard by all. Secondly, God has revealed himself in the glory of his word. The character. It is an internal and descriptive. Uh, and it is warning. It has warning to it. And it is individually learned. And thirdly, we see that God has revealed uh, himself in the glory of his Son. This is experiential, it is effective, it is sensible or brings one to their senses. Uh, and also, whosoever uh, may come and participate we see we find that when a sinner travels this road in the revelation of God he's confronted by three things God's power God's standard and finally by God's loving help startled by the lights in the sky man turns his thoughts to on high Much passes through his mind. Did this come from my kind? As he looked out a little farther, he could hear the voice of another. This all tells of God's story, for it is all about his glory. So we turn to creation to see God. This first place where he reveals himself. In Romans chapter 1, we read in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We see that God's creation reveals invisible attributes of God. The attributes of God are something that we see throughout the scriptures, and they're made known to us specifically through his creation. Not only is his attributes made known, which would tell us of his his person, his character, his temperament, perhaps, what he's like, but it also tells us of his eternal power. It also tells us of the Godhead. And man is left without excuse. The psalmist says... The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. We have here in the heavens a situation that leaves man without excuse. And to better understand, perhaps, what the heavens are and what the firmament is that declares God's glory and shows his handiwork, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament, from the waters which were above the firmament and it was so and God called the firmament heaven God called the firmament heaven God called the firmament heaven so the evening and the morning were the second day then God said let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so and God called the dry land earth and The gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Go down to verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons for days and years. Let them be for uh, for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth and to rule over the day and rule over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. The firmament. We see here that God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Firmament means an expanse or space. It has to do with an opening in something. It has been enlarged. And we see this takes place in the waters. And God makes this this great expanse. We see that God called it heaven. This firmament called heaven is so big, it is so deep, so high, so vast, so immense and expansive. Man has said that he has uh, this capability. I read about it, don't know anything about it. Someone else could probably share about that. But they estimate that the size of the universe is somewhere around 78 billion light years. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. 11.6 11.6 million miles a minute to travel 78 billion light years. Just to do one light year, you've got to travel at that speed for a whole uh, whole year. It is said that God rolled it out like a scroll, and that he measured it with the span of his hand. Our God is a big God. He's awesome. The heavens, we see in there that the firmament's called heaven, but then, it's, then we get this description, the heavens. It's defined as to be lofty. It refers to the sky, the loftiness of the sky, uh, this, this arch uh, that, that, that is out there, and it includes uh, what we would call outer space. The heavens contains the idea of only what you see physically. It has the idea of from horizon to horizon and everything that's up above. The psalmist says, in them he has set a tabernacle for the sun and the days Day into day, night into night, he set a tabernacle for the sun. That is from the horizon going down, and the horizon on, on from where we look out to the east, the horizon there where the sun would come up, and, and the horizon to the west. That's simply the tabernacle of the sun. That is the bridegroom's chamber as he describes it. Like God, there are known to be three lofty places. The first is Our atmosphere. Go out as far as you can breathe air, and you've probably reached that first heaven. And as you start to pass out, you'll drift into the next heaven, the second heaven, uh, which is that great abyss we call outer space. The third is the most lofty place of all, and that is where God abides, the most high. The psalmist here is speaking of the first and second heaven, The visible sky at day and the stellar heaven at night. He is speaking of our vantage and the scene uh, we see. If you're in the northern hemisphere, you're going to look up at the sky and you're going to see stars. The sun will be in a particular place. If you're way up there, you might have really long nights and short days. It's going to be different from your vantage point. If you go to the southern hemisphere, you'll see a whole other scene. We don't see the whole universe, only one part of it. And each part declares equally the attributes of God to man and is stated as the heavens of heaven. The earth is said to be 92,955,887.6, and it varies, Miles from the sun. It only takes eight minutes for the light to reach earth. We were talking about this in Sunday school class. I said, if the sun burps, you got about eight minutes before you're going to get it. Our sun is so big, you can put 1.3 million earths inside of it. Our sun is so small compared to the star Antares, which is a big uh, bright red star, that you can open it up, you can put the sun, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars inside of it, put the lid back on it, and they will continue in their orbit and never touch the side of that star, and that's not the biggest star. There's one that's approximately 2,000 times the size of our sun. And Terra's is about 1,000 times the size of our sun. This one's 2,000 times. And to borrow a statement from a brother, these are but pebbles on the shore of heaven's ocean. And it is written in great understatement He made the stars also. There are no other planets, solar systems, galaxies that have souls living on them. Earth is it. This might depress NASA. JPL, I don't know. In Genesis, in the account in Genesis, we find that there is earth, there's darkness, there's water, there's firmament called heaven. There's light, sun, moon, and stars. This was all for us. Makes you feel special, doesn't it? (laughs) We see that the firmament is the canvas. God's canvas, this expanse. It, it, It goes in every direction and it is humongous. And the heavens are points on that canvas. The sky from my vantage point that I see. The paint is the sun, moon, stars, planet, and lights. And all together, they sound out a message that God exists, that he is good, and he is awesome. A few weeks ago, my children asked a question, how far away is God's heaven? And at first I'm like, oh man, here we go. Okay. <clears throat> you got to understand, it's a long, long, long. It's a long ways away. And in that long thought, I stopped. And the scripture came to mind. In Acts 7:55, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen looked up. Perhaps during the day you got the blue sky and all of a sudden the blue sky peels back. And out there you can see the great yonder dark abyss with stars and that peels back. And there's God. And there's the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven's not so far away after all, is it? So the next time we look into the heavens, maybe even tonight, look up and wonder. And bow down and worship the God who put them there. The heavens speak of God's wisdom, his power, his glory, his goodness. It's a testimony to man, and he's without excuse. Another thought we can consider in 2 Thessalonians 1.7, we're told about the second coming of Christ. And it says, when he is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. I kind of get the idea that it doesn't matter what your vantage point on earth is. You're going to see him if you're here. But the beauty of scripture is it tells us that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be here looking at this horrible sight of one coming all decked out for war and for vengeance coming in all his glory. Because we will be with him. We'll be with him. It's not a sight for us. We see that today's utter speech, day after day, it's the same message, over and over, the same message. There is a God, there is a God, there is a God. He's mighty and powerful. Nights reveal knowledge and understanding that God is eternal and infinite. We see days bring light and revelation and understanding. And nights bring a time of of reflection to think on these things, to ponder them. We are to hear the message and to come to a conclusion. Day after day, night after night, we should come to a conclusion. It brings to a principle that if we are in a Bible study and we're going through the study and and we walk away going, I don't know which view it is, I don't know what it is, the purpose of God has been missed purpose of God is to believe in the truth in Romans 121 we see the downfall where man goes although they knew God they did not glorify him as God neither were they thankful they failed in faith they failed to lay hold of the things that God has shown them and that they knew and they failed to give him glory The purpose of God revealing himself is that we can come to a conclusion and believe in him. We see that God gives rest from, from the sun by sending it to its tent. He is the God of rest. We learn this in creation that God is the God of rest. We are to think of things. We see the sun coming out of its chamber rising up in the east. The resting place of the sun, it it comes out and it shines bright. The psalmist says, uh, rejoices like a strong man to run its race, like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Each day should be a bright and refreshing experience in the knowledge of God. If God's power is so great absolutely unbeatable. If God knows all things, completely unquestionable. And God is present everywhere, the ultimate unavoidable. Why do I worry so? The glory of God displayed in the heavens tell us visibly that God is light And it reveals his power. It descriptively tells us God separates and reveals all things. We see his knowledge. And effectively, man is impressed that he is small and cannot escape God. His presence. Godliness is good, and his goodness leads us to repentance. But the knowledge of his creation, as beautiful and wonderful as it is, cannot save a sinner from their sins. It tells you God is real and powerful, but there's no relief for the sinner here. So the sinner has to move on to his word. In verse 7, we learn that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is In a simple way, we could say are his ways. His ways. And they are perfect. His ways are perfect. His ways are past finding out by man. And his ways, the law of the Lord, are perfect and converting the soul. Bringing conviction. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. His testimony has to do with his witness. We can go so far as say "Is his covenant. It is sure. And it makes the, the simple wise. We can have confidence in God. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And this refers to God's resources, his supply. And we see that they're right when he meets our needs. And these things rejoice the heart as God takes care of man. We see that brings comfort. The statutes of the Lord are, uh, sorry, excuse me, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment can be be referred to his, his directives directions and we see that they're pure he has no ulterior motive in them they're not corrupt they don't have something else where he's looking to to misguide you and it's enlightening to the eyes it brings comprehension the fear of the lord is clean enduring forever having reverence or respect for the lord Clean. There's no defilement there. To have respect for the Lord is the the proper thing to do. And it's enduring forever. We find that it's compelling. And then finally, we see the judgments of the Lord are true. And they're righteous altogether. His judgments, his discernments, the, the... the decisions that he comes to, that they are true. We know that every mouth will be stopped, every tongue will be silenced. What God has decreed will be considered right, it's true. And we see that they're righteous altogether. and it brings correction This character that we see here in the scripture that the psalmist speaks about bears a testimony to the psalmist. It impresses him, it, it, it applies upon him. And he says, More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold. The man who talked about this knew something, a little bit about gold. David, I think, was somewhat rich and had some gold. And he considered the word of God to be more worthy than that. Sweeter also than honey and honeycomb. And I'm sure he came across some while he was out there tending sheep. And he considers it to be more pleasant than that. But he finds that moreover by them your servant is warned. Because if you don't keep to this, you're in trouble. And so he says in keeping them there is great reward if you can hold to this if you can do this there's great reward job says i esteem the word of god more necessary than my daily food do we think of god's word that way the psalmist after considering these two witnesses is brought to a place perhaps to his knees. He says, who can understand his errors? Who can understand these things, the sinful things that I've done? How how can I comprehend this? What can I do? And I can only think that the God of light shines forth in his mind. The witness of creation has impressed upon him. The witness of his word has testified that he is trustworthy. He's powerful. He's able to do things. So the psalmist cries out, cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. I don't want to be a slave to these things. And I can't do anything about it. I am helpless. Please help me. And he finds some hope. He says, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Wipe this out of the way and everything will be right. we see the conclusion that the psalmist comes to. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. This man knew that God was powerful. This man knew that God had the resources to take care of his problems. David knew what redemption was about. He knew this from the law. And so he cries out, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We find that in the New Testament, we'll go to Hebrews chapter 1. And we'll read this witness. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We have two witnesses that stand against the psalmist. We have a third witness that's brought out the witness of God himself. He steps out of eternity and into time as God the Son. And he didn't come here to play cards. He didn't come here to go fishing. He didn't come here to make life wonderful and In the sense that man would think of it. He came to be king. The one who is the expression of the Godhead. The one that creation speaks about. The one that the word testifies. Comes in person to man. And what does scripture say? He came unto his own. And his own received him not. I find that there's a principle in the Word of God that when a man is confronted by the glory in the sky and and he believes that there's a God and he's confronted by the glory in the Scriptures, the holiness of God, and he believes it. We don't have time, but in John chapter 6, we find that that person... Has heard the speech and he has learned from the scriptures and he's able to come. He's able to come to Christ, come to the Messiah. John the Baptist did this very type of work. This was his ministry to bring these people to repentance. To baptize them. They were waiting for the kingdom. The Messiah. And when he shows up they go, hmmm. They said, we believe it. There's a God and his word's true. The Messiah's coming. He's here. Okay, we want him. And then he shows up as that man, some lowly Nazarene carpenter. Huh? The gospel is not a mechanical tool. If it was, we can herd them through and just run them through. You see the glory? Look at it. Here, read it. Learn it. Memorize it. You got it? Okay, here's Jesus. I believe. They don't. We find something interesting in John chapter 6. Look it up there. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And those who have learned and heard from the Father come to me. And he had all these people come to him. And he says, anyone who comes to me, you won't go away hungry. Anyone who believes in me, you won't go away thirsty. He had all these people coming to him. But he brings out a point. I'm the bread of life. And he says, listen, if you eat the bread of life, you have eternal life. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And what do the people do? These people who believe, they they believe in God. They believe in his word. They come to Jesus the Messiah. And he says, just eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they go, this is too hard. I don't want any of this business. And they turn around and go away. They walked away from it all. They came all that distance. You know, there's some people who don't believe there's a God, but they sure do like his word. They don't even realize it's his word, but they like it. It feels good to do good. Just do good. Be good. Johnny, do Gooder. Do good. Do good. Do good. There's no God. Do good. Jesus says those people can't come. They can't come to Christ. They'll never get saved. As long as they resist to believe the revelation God has given, they'll never get saved. They can't smell the bread of life. The gospel means nothing to them. There are those who believe there's a God, but they have a hard time with his word. They say, you know, I don't like that stuff. It makes me hurt inside. I don't feel good. It makes me uncomfortable. Come on. God is a God of love. Let's just love everybody, right? Just show love because that's what it's all about. those people will never come to Christ either. If they will not believe that there's a God who made the heavens and that he has manifested himself in his word and shown his character, he's outwardly displayed himself, he's inwardly displayed himself, he has been open with man and he's told man his condition. And if they will not believe it, Christ will mean nothing to them. And if we don't live Christ in front of them, we're doing them a huge disservice aren't we for those who have seen and believe the revelation that god has given of himself and they come to christ and they say you are the christ you're the one who has the words of eternal life you're the one who's going to die on the cross from where you in the For the disciples I'm thinking of. For us who died on the cross for my sins. You're you're my strength. You're my redeemer. For those, Jesus says, blessed art thou. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father who is in heaven. This isn't something man can discern. It's something that God reveals. So when we share the gospel. Make sure they understand. Make sure they know but after we go through all that labor, they may just shake their heads and walk away, but we pray they don't. We pray they're like the psalmist, and they go full circle. They travel that road. They see his power, his standard, and they find that he is their helper. For without that, there is a fiery hell and a black, eternal, infernal lake of fire waiting them after judgment. Let's go ahead and close. Our gracious God and Father, we do praise you and thank you that you are the glorious God. We thank you that we can take a little time and look into your word and we can see that you are a great and awesome God. Your power is amazing. Your wisdom and knowledge is inconceivable. And Father, as we think of your character, the character of God, so gracious and loving, compassionate. Father, we were all sinners of various sorts. But because of your revelation, because you came in the form of your Son, we can have hope of eternal life. Father, we thank you that we can consider these thoughts. We pray that they will be Uh, useful in our, our talk, our speech, our walk. That every time we see the sun and we look out at the stars, we're reminded of your glory. That every time we read your word, we're reminded of how wonderful you are. Father, may every day be a wonderful experience walking with you, walking in your light. Father, we ask that we, as we draw near to you, as we draw close to you, that you draw near to us. We pray, Father, that your son will have a great meaning in our minds and will have great desires in our hearts for him, to love him, to follow him, to be faithful to him. And Father, we thank you that we were convicted of our sins. We pray, Father, if anyone here does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Strength and Redeemer, their Lord. We pray, Father, that that they will know these things are true, that there is a God and that he cares for them and that Christ is that display of love. Father, if they don't understand, they'll ask, they'll seek, they'll want to know. We thank you for the revelation that you've given us. We thank you that we can understand it in some small part. And we thank you that you are so wonderful. We thank you that your spirit works in our lives and encourages us each and every day, convicts us, directs us, enlightens us. Father, we thank you for each and everyone who's here tonight. We thank you for this assembly and the light that it can be in this community. For the elders, for the servants, for the saints. Bless us, Father, that we may minister all for your glory and the glory of the Lord Jesus. We commit everything to you in his name. Amen.